Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hi, Paul. How's your week been? Well, despite how I sound, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? <laughs> yeah, you, you sound like trash. I'm glad I'm not in Chicago. I did get a test. Everything's negative, but it's just a cold, So, which I can't remember having in for many years, which is strange. Fortunately, one, one feature of Microsoft Teams is I can't catch COVID by being on a video call with you. <laughs> good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so doing pretty good. And then actually uh, got some stuff working this week, so that's always fun too. Woo! Chopping off the bugs. It's been a quiet week out there, blog post-wise. I think everyone must, well, from our side, everyone's buckling down for Ignite, for sure, because that is just around the corner. But did you find any links worth talking about this week? Well, I, well, I have a carryover one from a while back. Uh, the text analytics service has an update. So text analytics has a lot of stuff. And um, we did have a show that covered cognitive services that Prashant chatted through a bunch of stuff on. But the one I'm referring to is text analytics, which it does um, like sentiment analysis. But in addition, you could have it find keywords. And now they've extended this to do uh, Extractive summarization is the term that they're talking about. And so this, uh, the, the example they're talking about is maybe you want to do a summary of, a, of a, a document, right? So just get an executive summary type of thing. And so pointing it at a whole big, long document, it can pull out three or four sentences that, that are the, su- the, the summary of the, the entire content, which uh, I, I don't know that I would necessarily rely on it blindly to generate, you know, summaries and stuff. But then again, I'm terrible at writing summaries, so it might be a good choice to point it at, uh, at stuff going on and, and get a, a nudge there. So I just wanted to, to let folks know about this. It's part of the Azure SDK stuff in C Sharp and Java and Python and uh, most other languages. So point at it. It, it kind of ties in with the uh, syntax stuff where as well, right? It, uh, you figure how the you know, there's stuff going on. So I want to at least get that in front of some folks. I wonder if we threw, which we don't even do, but if you threw a transcript of a podcast at it, whether it would summarize a podcast that that's exactly what I'm thinking. I had done some work a while before to, to do one of the cognitive services that'll do voice to text and then wanted to do some work on that. But, you know, time gets away from me and I didn't have time to, I remember kicking it off and, and then by the time it finished analyzing it, I had moved on to something else. <laughs> the, the, um, I saw some tweets last night, actually, people were saying that uh, sometimes when they can't make meetings, they just like, peer into the chat of the meetings to see what's going on, which I'm definitely, we have a bunch of what we call working sessions where different divisions that we work with can jump into a call and hear what we're doing and give feedback. Unfortunately, sometimes they conflict. And so I just camp with the chat window and see what's going on. And if I see a good conversation going, you know, I might jump into the meeting if I can see what the topic is. But I always think for what would be great is as well as the meeting chat is if you could just see the live transcript so, like, you're not in the meeting, but I can quickly see what people are saying and, and then that way I can jump in. But imagine if you could do that with this and just be like, summary of the meeting, whether it's worth watching the recording or not. Be pretty cool to get that understanding. 
Yeah, some, a lot of potential there. A lot of potential. What was the other thing you saw something else from the community? So this is a bit surprising in a couple of levels. Number one, I found an article on visualstudiomagazine.com, which I didn't even know still existed. <laughs> Back in the day, I would eagerly wait for the MSDN. To get the mail. That's right. Yeah, to show up in the mail and read through it. And, and some of the, the legends of .NET are, were in that in that magazine. But this is a simple... Uh, article, I guess, or a tip that is titled um, ASP.NET Core 5 Microsoft Power BI Reporting. And just as you'd expect, it is a way to embed a Power BI report in a, a MVC web app. Using, they're using Visual Studio 2019, but I would imagine there's nothing unique to there. But uh, I, I know Power BI is is growing like crazy, and 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 John and Jace have a, po- a podcast on that and talk about embedding stuff all the time. But imagine doing stuff in a web page, right? And, and in fact, I've done reporting services stuff back in the day to to show reports on you know online. So. Right. So is it, I guess this is like the new revolution of reporting services. We used to do that a lot. I mean, this was a long time ago. Yeah, and so I'm going to probably get this wrong, and you can, again, listen to the Bifocal podcast, but there, there's, there <laughs> is there is um, paginated reports, which is the old reporting services, and then there's the Power BI reports, which is all the fancy charts and live slicing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so what this article is talking about is the Power BI reports. So if you have a chart or a page or something in the Power BI. So if you want to do reporting services, you still can. That's called paginated reports. And, and of course, it's all subject to licensing, but but this is like the other side of that piece. It's not just a, a report that you've generated. It's the an iframe into um, the Power BI charts and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, the source of the iframe is just app.powerbi.com slash report embed, and then you just chuck the report ID in there. So, it is like, I mean, you've got to deal with iframes, but I think most of the web now is more pro iframes than they were 10 years ago when iframes were the devil, it seems. But- that's that's pretty yeah. neat. It's a great way to get. I'm sure there's more to it than than this is. There always is, but at least you get started and then off you go. So, so thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to that's really Eric cool. Vogel and MS and Visual Studio Magazine for still being around. So look at that. I wonder if they still mail them. I don't think I've had one in the mail for a long time. I, well, I wouldn't want one in the mail, but I'm certainly going to search around for the RSS feed. I haven't found it yet, but I haven't looked too hard. So, <laughs> so we'll add that to my list. You may be hearing more from these folks uh, in our podcast if it's on my list. Yeah. There yeah. we go. So, what'd you find this week? I found one from Louise Fries, um, who is on the PNP team uh, that Vesser and team run up, and uh, is quite well known for low code development. She's she's great. She comes in and reaches out with questions, but they're always you can tell she's exhausted the internet before she comes to us to ask. And the exciting thing about that is often these questions are like they make everyone pause and go, huh. Yeah, okay. I hadn't thought of that either. This is actually kind of a cool scenario. And there's actually a big initiative internally right now to make the graph better with the power platform in general through a variety of initiatives pushing them to support OpenAPI 3 and us to support um, permission strings inside our OpenAPI descriptions. And then we'll all live happily ever after together as an experience. And also some nice licensing things that we're working on too, because obviously it's a bit of a, well, how would you, a contentious discussion to have around calling the graph from Power Automate because of the licensing requirements of the HTTP action. What Luis has done with, and, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to muck this name up so bad, Carmen Seawinge. 
I assume the why is silent. I can see everyone's eyes rolling as they're listening, but uh, you get used to it on the show. And they've put together what they're calling Provision Genie, which is an open source provisioning engine for Microsoft Teams. They've built it as a personal app inside of Teams. They made some interesting architectural choices, uh, which many of the kind of ISV partners out there can't do because they need a full complete set of scenarios and they've decided to only use app only calls to the graph which for those of you in the know and who've heard me talk about this on the show there are various workloads that don't support app only (coughs) planner and uh, we work very hard with that team to try and convince them that they should really go away and do that work Um, unfortunately it's still not committed by engineering so if this is something you're passionate about please go to our um, https colon slash slash aka.ms graph requests and you can planner is at the top there you can click vote on that it every little helps uh, for us to try and convince them to do that work but it was interesting because they've taken this app only approach it does make the installation a lot easier um, with what they're doing and in the open source project if you look at the docs um, they've done a really good job of documenting how they've used logic apps with the underlying dataverse data model where they're storing all the like the jobs and so forth and how they configure those to the graph with app only and you know putting the values through um so it's really kind of good if you're in this space of low code just to understand what's possible um and they've done a really good job at kind of keeping it fairly simple in terms of the you know power platform they're using a canvas app to be the personal app a few dataverse tables and you know a few security roles and um, a few logic apps there. So if you're interested in this, definitely check it out. And you know, credits to I think Yannick Rickmans and Michael Roth and Lee Ford for helping this little open source project along the way as they've got stuck in different bits and pieces. So I, I love the way that she documents things. She um, does it from a learning perspective, which is really good. So for me, it's great to look at where she stumbles so that we can highlight those things from a developer experience perspective as well. So this is the first real application I've seen using Dataverse. So that's interesting. And there's a lot of pieces. So I'm making a note in my diary to reach out. Luis, I'm coming for you. We're going to talk about this on the show. <laughs> so it's, yeah. 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 Like the, cause usually people will use a SharePoint list to do all of the, like I have a request for a new site and then pop it off the SharePoint list. Um, whereas it's interesting because she's come from a, you know, the power platform world. Obviously, that that group are pushing people to use the dataverse, and um, you know, again, there's many ways you can skin a cat, but it's cool to see people using the dataverse in that way. Yeah, it's great stuff. Looking forward to learning more on that. Good find. Yeah, look at that to the twitters. All right. Well, on the show today, we have um, Ika Bass and uh, Bob German talking about Bot Composer. And unfortunately, I couldn't make it because I had a little bit of a fire drill with Ignite coming up for a keynote with Jeff Tipper. And so um, I had to skip it. So apologies, because I love talking to Ika and Bob. But uh, I hope you enjoy the show. And uh, again, if you're interested in being on the show, if you've got something cool to talk about, like Luis has, then please reach out to us on the Twitters and uh, we can get scheduled for an interview. And uh, I hope you feel better, Paul. And uh, have a good week. On the, on the way up. So, <laughs> see you.
So I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast this week, Aicha and Bob. Welcome, folks. Hi. Hi, how are you? So we're going to talk this week about uh, a series of videos that you two have done on the bot composer and, and bots in general. But first, as usual, let's let's get a little introductions. What's changed since you've been on the show? So Aicha, uh, please refresh us. So who are you, who you are and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm glad to be back in your podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Aicha uh, Bash. Uh, I'm based in Dubai. I, I work in Microsoft as a cloud advocate, and I'm a part of Microsoft 365 Cloud Advocacy Group uh, with my colleague, Bob. Uh, I basically focus on Microsoft Graph and Teams development, and we build content, lots of contents around new technologies related with Graph and Teams. And today, I'm really excited about building Teams apps using Bot Composer. Thank you, and Bob German back again. Thanks uh, for coming back, Bob. Can you uh, tell us again what you what you're up to these days? Thanks. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. So I, as Aicha mentioned, we are we're now on the same team, which is really awesome. I'm having a great time working with everybody, and uh, so we're we're developer advocates. They used to call us evangelists, but um, I like advocate better because it's not. First, it's not faith-based, so uh, it's very, you know, it's technology-based, so it's we're not asking anyone to just take things on faith. We're showing them how it works, and we're also uh, two-way street, so we're advocating for developers and giving a lot of feedback to engineering teams as well as advocating uh, M365 development out to the world. Um, that's great, great stuff, and I do agree. I like I like the advocate name better. That that's that's great. And so diving into the 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 video series, we'll we'll get a, a link out in the show notes, of course. But it started with Bot Composer can do what, and it goes on to all kinds of stuff <laughs> that we'll dive into. So just as a refresher, right? So some time back, we had uh, Dwayne and Gary on to talk about Bot Composer when it was first released. But I know that there has been some updates since then. So Bob, why don't you start by giving What's kind of the, the the state of the of the system when it comes to Bot Composer these days? Yeah, well, as an unofficial answer, because I'm a user of Bot Composer, I'm not like representing the Bot Composer team. Okay, fair enough. But with that in mind, what I saw was at Build they came out with V2, and it was a big, wonderful, wonderful update. So um, some things that definitely changed. It used to be that you had to host the Bot Composer on a website somewhere, and you can still do that apparently, but now there's an easy download for Windows, Mac, or Linux, so you can run it just as a desktop app. It definitely has matured in terms of integrating with Azure Cognitive Services and Azure Active Directory, um, things that were, that were not kind of you had to do on your own, are now all built into Bot Composer. And to me, it's now a complete end-to-end low-code development environment for bots. And you can also escape out to code as well and integrate in uh, your code uh, if you want to have some code or maybe you have some bot code from before. Uh, they've solved all that as well. So we didn't get into that in our videos, but it's another big strength now that's part of Bot Composer. I remember before we would like eject our code and could host it ourselves. Is that still the case or is it, do I, does it? Yes. Yeah. So I still need to bring my own hosting for back. You said you could download it and install, but what you're downloading is just the composer bits, right? Yeah. And, but there's also wizards for deploying it to Azure as well as you can extract and host. So, and host it anywhere. So the, again, that's also evolved a bit since V1, but it's unlike other services. It's not a complete, like comparing it with um, power virtual agents, which is another great project, but that's more hosted in the Power Platform cloud. And it's 
tightly associated with a with a tenant in in Azure AD. Um, the bot composer is much more kind of general purpose, and you can host the bots wherever you want. And the licensing structure is um, kind of like it's free, and you only pay for the hosting and the bot channel service, which is something something like. 10,000 messages a month for free or something like that. It's pretty, it's pretty reasonably um, priced. And then, so it's a, it's a different model and the two actually now work together. So that was another thing they announced at build is the ability to um, connect the two products. So if you were doing something in power VA and you wanted to add some features that are in bot composer, you can now actually integrate the two. Yes. And so we'll dig up some, I have some notes on, on how some of that calling works back and forth. So we can certainly get links to those folks who want that. So, but moving on through your video series, obviously that gets us Bot Composer started. So what is the the bot? So I just want you to tell us what is this initial plan of what this bot does? I do file new and off I go. What, what, what are we building? Yeah. So um, initially we were discussing with Bob because both of us are a fan of uh, Bot Framework and Bot Framework Composer. Uh, we wanted to come up with an idea because um, our team is distributed all over the place. I mean, all over the world and uh, we usually have a hard time to um, catch up and it would be really nice to we always thought it would be really nice to have a platform that shows all of our time zones and maybe if any of us are available uh, we can also see it we decided to build a bot to uh, use it in that way and uh, basically bot tracks uh, the presence uh, and availability of our team and everyone's actually so that um, we can see if if any of our colleague is available that's actually really useful because uh, during the day when I'm working I have a colleague in Hawaii another colleague in Boston another colleague in Australia Brisbane so it would be nice to check who is a type who is online and see literally who is online that was the initial idea and we started with getting the user profile information so that's the second video but your bot tells you who you are that's the first thing i did with microsoft graph in my life uh, to be honest uh, when i was working uh, as a premier field engineer at microsoft uh, the first time i met with graph was exactly the same scenario i was building a bot for a customer and they asked me to implement a login feature with the user profile. And then that's where I discover, wow, there's a graph. Uh, I can get all the information from Microsoft 365 Cloud. And basically the user profile is the most common thing in many applications. So in the first video, we cover um, how to use Microsoft Graph in a very basic way. While you're doing that in Bot Composer, you'll see it's really easy to integrate authentication as well as the graph uh, to get the user profile uh, because Bot Composer does most of the stuff in the background for you. Uh, comparing to my experience building everything with the Bot Composer in C Sharp, and now if you're using Bot Composer, it's a lot less coding, a lot less hassle. So uh, we do everything with a click, 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 and it's kind of done. So that's what I like about Bot Composer. And, and so, 
thinking about getting, you know, who who I am or, or calling into graph to get the user profile, th- there's a distinction that I've seen, like, like the, there's a lot of talk in the team's development space about single sign-on to let me know who the current user is, which is different than calling graph for the user. So wh- which of those or both are you, in this video, are you talking about the call, calling graph specifically or just getting the identity from teams? So we're we're actually doing both. I think technically we're not doing single sign-on. We're using the auth dialog in the bot framework. Um, but that the, those logins persist for six months and across different devices as well because um, technically there's a thing called a refresh token, which I know you know all about. Um, but uh, just for the audience, right, it's a, it's a token that uh, is a longer-lived token that needs to be stored securely that can then be used so that the user doesn't have to keep logging on over and over again. You get these on your phone, you know, you've noticed your phone, you sign into an app and you don't have to sign in again for a while. The bot framework does the same thing and the bot composer exposes that. So um, so that's what we're using and we're doing it in Teams. So it is integrated with Teams, but then we're actually um, using that to call the graph. So we're getting more than just the username back. And and there's a quite a bit of configuration that has to happen. And I believe, Aisha, what you're saying is that there's a wizard or a dialogue inside bot composer that'll help me connect with Azure AD and the bot registrations. Is that right? Yeah, so we do call graph by ourselves, but uh, we don't need to handle writing, for example, all the dispatch structure because uh, the dialogue structure in the bot composer is a lot easier. And the authentication piece is also uh, a lot more simplified than writing the code itself. So yes, there is kind of a wizard uh, where you can follow and uh, implement your API and it will definitely look cleaner when you take a look at the uh, videos, you will understand a lot easier which graph API we called and uh, how we get the data. And then, so now that you said that the bot will let me say who's online, which is going to be different than getting a user profile. So what is the, how what is this who's online manifest itself? What is what calls you making there? Yeah, so that's a that's making a few graph calls. So there's. Two different intents there. So if anyone who's written a bot knows about intents, it's just basically the different commands you can give the bot, but you're giving it in in natural language. So it may not be a specific command word. Um, You can say who's online. It will go get the user's profile, it'll find the user's manager, and then it'll find everyone who reports to that person. So it's just getting your immediate teammates. And then it's calling the presence API and graph. All these are all graph calls to get back the presence for all those users. But then you can also ask for a specific user and it will go find that user's profile in Azure AD. If there's more than one user, say I uh, ask where's Paul and there's more than one Paul, um, it will actually disambiguate and say which Paul and give me a list. And then when I pick it, it, I get back your status and an adaptive card where I can chat and deep link to a chat um, conversation with you. We build it, we're building this in front of, uh, you know, in the videos and walking through every detail. So it, we had to kind of limit the complexity a little bit. But it again, as I just said, I think it's impressive compared to how much code it would have taken to do this uh, in, in, the, in the composer was, was significantly simpler and easier to follow. So anyway, that's, that's basically what we're doing. And then as part of that, we get to explain the idea of a dialogue, which is um, sort of a of a bot concept, similar to like a screen and a user interface, a dialogue is a reusable piece of logic so that if you wanted to say reuse 
this whole idea of identifying a user and disambiguating them, you can put that into a dialogue that could be used over and over again in different parts of your bot. And we show how to do that as well. And so calling the presence API is going to be a different set of permission scopes than getting the user profile. Yeah. And so does Bot Composer help me with that? Or do I still need to keep track of what I'm doing and then go make updates later? As far as I know, you still have to, uh, you still have to update that in the, in the app permissions inside of Azure AD. So that's the way we're doing it. And actually, it's a good question. I got to remember if there's a place to put the scopes. If you wanted to add, if you wanted to do dynamic consent, there might be a way to do that. But we did it. We just did it simple. Yeah, I haven't seen dynamic consent in the bots, but so I still need, I guess the, what I'm getting at is it, it, even the bot composer makes it easy to say call a different service, I'll still need to be aware of what scopes I need and make sure I can figure them, right? You do. You do. It's, yeah. it's um, which I think is kind of a good thing, right? Because they're not overstepping. They're saying, look, it, Graph is, um, with, with all apologies to the Graph team, it's my favorite API, but it is just one of many APIs out there and they don't want to presuppose what you're doing with bot composer. So, um, you know, we use graph because we're targeting Microsoft teams and the graph is in M365 alongside of teams and everything else, but the same concepts would work with any API. Okay. Now you mentioned intense, which kind of leads us into to the next video, right? Talking about uh, Lewis. And so let, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. And so Lewis is the language understanding bit. So I know that there's a bunch of stuff I have to do in some kind of website for the Lewis general to enter phrases and stuff. Does Bot Composer help us with that or do I just plug it in later? Can you give me an overview of what that looks like in that video? Yes. So Lewis bit is always the most exciting bit uh, when you're working with a bot. Uh, is I mean, just a quick introduction. Uh, language understanding intelligence services are part of cognitive services, which basically helps you create a decision mechanism in your bot. So without Lewis, it's actually everything you do in the bot is a mechanic. But when you implement Lewis, then everything becomes dynamic. So there's a decision making process in the background. We call it NLP. In the bot composer, it was really surprising for me when I first saw Bob was doing. We can actually choose the recognizer uh, from, we can change it from reg regex to Lewis. And when you just change it in the drop down box, then bot composer creates uh, Lewis for you. You don't even have to go to the Lewis portal or add intense entities, which actually that part was also really fun. But now you don't have to handle the AI piece. When you choose language understanding Lewis as a um, decision uh, maker as a recognizer, then whatever intent you add in the bot composer in your dialogues, it will be a part of uh, language understanding. And it will automatically be trained when you add uh, new sentences, example sentences. It will also go to the related intent in Lewis and it will automatically be trained again. So. I, I really love the idea of connecting everything in one portal, which is Bot Composer. Uh, that really makes everything easy because when you think of creating a bot, you first of all need to use Bot uh, Framework SDK uh, in your bot app. And then you have to go to Lewis portal, create your Lewis API, train your Lewis with the intents and implement your API in the bot code as well. As well as if you want to do the same for QA Maker, 
that's another portal and another process for the when you use bot composer basically you don't have to handle all these bot composer does it all it generates the lewis and then it uh, adds everything in it and it uh, trains everything automatically um as i mentioned i was really surprised when i first saw it it's really beautiful <laughs> yeah and to sort of pile on that uh like the what i just said i mean uh, it was always a pain point, I thought, that you had to go to Lewis to do your intents, but your code is depending on those intents and entities. So everything has to line up, and it was completely manual. I was always exporting my Lewis model into a JSON file and checking it in with my code, and then my teammates would have to download the JSON and, and import it into Lewis. And if if one person made a change, the other person had to update the import and all this kind of stuff. Um, by doing this in having it integrated in with Composer, Composer actually stores these little language understanding files right in your project. So it automatically gets checked into source control. And then if you get an update to the code, and maybe I merge in some of Aicha's changes, her Lewis updates are right in the same code along with the rest of the bot. And when I click start on in bot composer it's going to say oh look the lewis model changed i need to redeploy and retrain and i don't even have to worry about it it's it's just great that's that's gold right there and plus the magic strings in your bot in your c-sharp code it says what is the intent and if you make a typo and it doesn't work you pull your hair out well if you had hair you yeah, would pull your hair there. out <laughs> yeah well you and i are in the same boat with that paul we've both i think a little bit of hair loss from the uh from the bot, or the old school bot experience. Yes, indeed, awesome. So now um, you mentioned before that you are rendering adaptive cards, and I love adaptive cards because when you have my design skills, they kind of help help get along. So, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> um, how does your bot use the adaptive cards? Well, it's pretty simple right now. It's just when you ask for the presence, it gives back um, a card with the presence of of the user that you requested, and then there's a button on there that you can. Click um, to to go into a chat. It does, though, illustrate how to work with adaptive cards. And this is not quite as tightly integrated into the Bot Composer, but it's still pretty easy. Um, so Bot Composer introduces the idea of language generation, which is the flip side of language understanding. And so the, in its simplest form, for example, you could give um, a multiple, a, a list of possible responses and the bot, if it's just text and the bot will pick one at random. And that's really great because I used to have to code that up or else my bot would always respond with the exact same thing. And it ended up kind of being like, Hey, I'm a bot. I always say the same thing. I'm just an automaton, right? It feels a lot more kind of smarter if it's coming back a little bit more dynamically. So that's part of language generation. And then language generation also is where you would put your cards. So you could have the response be an adaptive card. So I found it's pretty easy to go to the adaptive card, adaptivecards.ai to the bot, to the card designer, and then copy and paste the card format from the designer into bot composer. And then uh, what I end up having to do is the data binding that happens in adaptive cards. It doesn't work that way in Composer. So you've got these local variables inside of Bot Composer, and you basically go in and change the binding expressions into referencing the variables in your bot. So it's a little bit more manual than than the Lewis integration. Still, maybe they'll maybe they'll continue to work on that. But it's pretty it's pretty nice compared to still based on the coded bot where you kind of had to write all the code to render the card and all that stuff is is taken care of for you. 
you know, that leads me to a little, a little tangent here. So what sometimes I've struggled with is that the people who are, for example, the response, uh, the net, the sentences that people use to trigger an intent in Lewis and the responses from the bot. Sometimes we want that to be someone who's in, in the line of business, who knows what the right words are and not necessarily the programmer who's coding the bot. And so when, does bot composer lend itself to outsourcing that? Can I have someone else go do adaptive cards and send me them or someone else do some of these Lewis commands and I can, pop them in or can I give them composer what, what are your thoughts on that I'd like to hear from both of you on that I think you could give them composer I, there's no specific feature but it is extremely source control friendly at one point a uh, few of us built a bot together in the team and we were all working on it at the same time and it was a piece of cake to merge things together so and also by the way language generation as well as language understanding is where you would focus on translation if we're, our bot just speaks English but we could get fancy and have it speak other languages. And that's fully supported by the model. So I think the way you would do that is you would build your bot and then um, let each of those people come in and edit the the files for their language understanding and their language generation, and then just merge it in. So it's pretty easy, um, but it, I don't know of a specific feature that is kind of like, hey, here's, let's only let them edit the the card for instance maybe that's all that they're allowed to do they don't have that kind of scoping on it at this point in, in another area where the uh, a, a subject matter expert could be helpful is in the q a and so i guess the same question that applies in in the q a maker right do are there separate files in in there as well that we can point it at or does does it work the same as lewis how does that how does that manifest itself yeah, so the Q&A maker is also integrated in Bot Composer. Basically, there's a tab where you can manage your Q&A maker knowledge bases. You can edit your knowledge bases uh, directly in the Bot Composer. First of all, you can create one and uh, start adding your questions. But also, it's important to mention, because some of us may be interested in having full control of your AI models like me, you can still go to lewis.ai or qnamaker.ai. And when you log in, you will still see your uh, generated AI models. So if you want to continue editing your QA Maker using the portal, because maybe that's where you're used to doing it, you can still do it. Bot Composer portal is actually really flexible, doing all the integrations directly in the portal. But if you want to have um, the same model working in the original place like QNAMaker.ai, you can also uh, do that in the same portal too, because it's generating the model in your own account, basically. So when you add a new uh, sentence, new question answer, it will directly go to QNAMaker.ai. Um, so bo both options are available. I think that's uh, really great because um, I mean, Bot Composer, having everything in one place is good, but sometimes I really like to have the full control and being able to uh, go to the portal, the, the old portal and see my models there, Yeah, having the control to train it, uh, add new sentences manually is also a great option uh, to me. Yeah, and if I have a document I want to upload into the Q&A maker portal, I still have that ability and, and Composer will pick it up then? Yes, exactly. You can also uh, choose characteristics, which is my favorite feature in Q&A Maker. Uh, you can still go to the portal, uh, Q&A Maker AI, choose characteristics, upload files, uh, copy paste URLs, so it will pick up directly in the bot composer too. 
That, that's excellent stuff. And, and so how does this bot, the, the, your, who's online bot, how does it uh, use the Q&A maker service? What, what capabilities are you demonstrating? I think they're using a URL, right, Bob? Yeah, I mean, we're just, oh, I see. We Yeah, we just did a few simple ones just to uh, answer some questions. And then also, frankly, is a kind of snarky and we were having fun with it. But, uh, you know, so like if nobody's online, you can say, where's everybody? And it'll it'll try to comfort you and stuff like that. Uh, or maybe it maybe it'll completely destroy your ego by saying everyone hates you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, anyway, we were just playing around to show. I, I think it's interesting too because the there's so many people who built a Q and A maker bot, and they just use Q and A maker, and it generates a simple bot that all it does is answer the questions, and um, you know that's still really valuable in a lot of cases. And I love that. And what I just said is that you can kind of start at either end, right? I love that those bots maybe uh, people who have those bots and now they want to add some more custom logic to it. Um, Bot Composer might be just the thing because they can build on what they've already got. And it seems like another option might be that I have a bot that's doing something and now it might be easy to provide some help in the form of a Q&A because I can click a button, say, give me a Q&A knowledge base and, and ask some it. subject matter expert to answer questions. I think I could certainly use that now as, as the devs back in London are trying to ask me questions about the code I wrote six months ago and I have to try to remember <laughs> what I did. So it's certainly good. Yeah, I know the feeling. Um, and then looking at the list, the last, the last video talks about interruptions. So what does that mean? What? Are you <laughs> talking to me oh sorry um yeah so i uh that was uh that was a fun one i think uh, a lot of times uh i don't know if any of the, anyone has ever had the experience of you go into a bot maybe out there in the world and and you're you're like ordering something online and all of a sudden you change your mind and you kind of like okay stop already like i want to do something else and it keeps asking you questions about the thing you were trying to do so there's a uh, in the last video we show you how to wire up interruptions and um, it's it's really slick the way they do it. There's no special like interruption feature, but every time you prompt the user, you can actually allow interruptions or not. And then if you allow interruptions, you don't. It's not a a binary thing. You can actually put in a, a little expression. In this example, it the, that we used there, it was if the user says something like stop, cancel. Uh, never mind, something like that. It actually triggers another Lewis intent, and then the uh, the when it asks for a question, it only allows interruptions if that particular U Lewis intent is the one that was triggered. So it can say, well, which Paul is it? And I could say Paul Schaefline, and it it doesn't think that's an interrupt. But if if it says which Paul is it, and I say never mind, it will recognize. Oh, wait a minute, this is another intent now that's coming in and I should stop. I should break out of that dialogue where I'm going to kind of sit there and continue to ask which Paul until I get an acceptable answer. I can break out of that and go back to the beginning and let the bot do its thing um, with that new intent. Yeah, so I, I can also add one more thing on that. I think there's nothing called like a fully trained bot. There's no end to train a bot because any bot can um, get questions wrong or um, answer something 
wrong. So there, there should be a point where user uh, has to have a power, power to stop it. I would think about your home assistants, how many times you say, um, I don't know, uh, Alexa, turn off the lights and Alexa starts reading the news to you. And then you said, Alexa, cancel, Alexa, stop. <laughs> so you, know, you realize I a hundred users now have their lights turned off because they're listening to the podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, uh, they, they still get trained. Even Alexa, Google Assistant, all of the assistants all around the world, they keep training itself. Uh, it, it, it includes your bot too. So uh, you have to uh, give a power to your user to cancel uh, their intents because it can be either your bot gets it wrong or maybe user as ask it wrong or maybe, I don't know, many things can happen when you're interacting with a bot. So it is really important to have this uh, interruption feature. So is that interruption feature something I do in Bot Composer or is that something I have to set up in Lewis? It, it's all done in Composer. So you make, the first thing you do is you make a new intent, which is the interruption, and you give it a bunch of, of uh, trigger phrases. Those trigger phrases are going to go, those are going to go into Lewis, but you don't have to think about that. Bot Composer is just going to take care so of that. So that's a Lewis task. And then what's going to happen is that that intent is going to fire. And when you are on a prompt user for input action in, then you can actually decide, am I going to allow this to be interrupted? And even say, I'm only going to allow it to be interrupted if the if this particular intent was the one that interrupted. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's really slick. And it's not even a special feature. It's available everywhere. You could you could really make creative use of this in different scenarios. Yeah, and there are a couple of um, benefits overall for, for me uh, in Bot Composer. And the biggest point is that, that when you think of building a bot, there are best practices you always follow. For example, having a greeting um, in your bot, having an interruption, having a, a NLP mechanism in the background like Lewis, uh, integrating QA Maker. So these are the basics. Uh, when you use Bot Composer, I mean, these are generic things we use in our bots. Um, either you use Power Virtual Agents or Bot Composer or Bot Framework SDK. But when you use Bot Composer, there are actually dialogues doing that for you. You only choose the interruption dialogue or you only choose QA Maker dialogue, and you don't even need to build the uh, root structure. Uh, it is already built. In you just choose it and it will be in your bot automatically. That's probably the best benefit uh, I'm getting out of this tool. That's that's great stuff. So now that all our listeners are motivated to go try that, and if they have questions, what's the, well, so I guess, first of all, um, where do we find these videos? I guess we, we've talked about them. We should probably at least tell them where do we go find them? Yeah, you can go to academy slash bot composer series. Um, and it will be directing you to uh, M365 Developer YouTube channel. Uh, it's actually a playlist in our YouTube channel. Uh, you can watch them all. If you have a comment, you can leave it in under the comment. We actually frequently check the comments and try to reply. So uh, feel free to drop your questions there. That's excellent stuff, and I look forward to the next series. I, you know, I know you're probably still publishing these, but uh, this is great stuff. I really appreciate both of you taking time to to describe it. And I know it's hard for folks to visualize, but this uh, hopefully we're a nice companion, and and uh, I look forward to more stuff from you folks. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Great to see you. 
Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 